If we had to put a title on this evening's message or on this chapter, it would be, for me anyway, it would be the importance of obedience. It's important for us to be obedient. Because how can we say we love God if, we don't be, if we're not obedient to Him? Every creature is unique in a song that it sings All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God All-powerful, untamable, awestruck with Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series in Chapter 13 in the book of 1 Samuel. In prior studies, we found that Saul was very appealing on the outside to be a great king. However, Israel had no idea what Saul was made up of on the inside. In this chapter, we learn that even though Saul seemed like a good leader, he failed to obey the Lord and decided to make his own decisions regarding his leadership. Saul became disobedient to God, and this is where his problems began. We must always remember to obey God and leave the consequences to him. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins in chapter 13. Let's open up to uh, 1 Samuel. We're going to look at chapter 13 this evening. Chapter 13 is going to be really the beginning of the end uh, for Saul. You remember Saul was Israel's first king. The people of Israel, the children of Israel, had decided that they wanted to be like all the nations around them. And instead of just having God rule over them, which he had been doing for hundreds of years, from the time that God brought them out of Egypt through the desert wanderings, 40 years, and then he brings them into the land under Joshua, and then they settle the land. And for at least 400 years, we had the time of the judges, and now we have... Samuel, uh, as, a, as an older man now, and he's, he's ba- basically handing off the baton. He's really Israel's last judge. And Saul, who was the tallest man in Israel, the Bible tells us, head and shoulders taller than anybody, handsome fellow. And the people of Israel, they wanted a man like that. They wanted a leader who was tall and handsome. And really nothing has changed in, in, in today's society. When people think of a leader, they always are thinking of, you know, the guy who can speak the best, the guy who's the tallest, the guy or gal who's the prettiest or that most handsome, whatever it is. And none of those things really qualify a leader, do they? Because many people can be tall, they can be handsome, they can even speak well, but that doesn't give them necessarily a leadership quality. And those aren't really necessarily leadership qualities at all. God is the one who makes leaders. And he gave them the desire of their heart. And he didn't do that... Um, because he was happy with their choice. You know, there comes a point when God, when we fight against him long enough, 
When we say we want this, we want this, and we, we, we're so adamant and that we want something, whatever it may be, even if it's against what God's law says, even if it's against the, what, what, the, what the Lord wants for our lives, there comes a point where God may allow you what you want. And I've experienced this in my own life. I've wanted something so bad. I wanted something so bad. And even before I knew Christ, and I wanted something so bad, and God gave it to me to teach me a lesson because it wasn't good for me. He knew what was best for me. I did not know what's best for me. Does anybody really know what's best for them personally? I don't always know. As I become closer to the Lord and as I know his word better, I'm coming into more of an alignment with his will, but I still got a long way to go. And I think you probably say the same. And so God wants to conform us to his image, but they wanted a king. And so God gave them a king and it didn't turn out so well. They would have been better off just doing what they've always been doing and allowing God to guide and direct them. But if you remember in chapter 12, we saw that they went... um, uh, just on the heels of this victory that they had with the Ammonites, with their new king, Saul, they had this great victory. They were so excited. Samuel says, let's go to Gilgal and let's renew the kingdom there. And so they go to this place, and it's a, a great time of rejoicing. Saul's their first king, the nation's first king. They had a great victory over the Ammonites. And then it says that, and at that time, they were going to coronate Saul again. He'd actually been coronated once before, but now they were going to crown him king now after this victory. And you recall, in the process of doing that, Samuel, as an old man now, is basically going to hand the baton off to Saul. And he warns them, and he asks them, uh, in front of all the nation, he says, Have I, Samuel speaking, speaking to the nation, and Saul is there, He says, have I defrauded anybody in anything? Have I done anything wrong? Do I owe anybody anything? Is there anything that you have against me? Speak now or forever hold your peace in a sense. That's really what he's doing. And certainly nobody comes back and says anything because Samuel was a a fantastic leader. He was a wonderful man of God, a faithful man. But then they coronate Saul. And if you recall... Samuel doesn't let them off the hook easily because as they're coronating Saul, Samuel's also reminding the nation, what you've done in asking for a king is evil. And think of how awkward that must have been for Saul as he's standing there, this man who's taller than everybody in Israel, and Samuel's addressing the nation and saying, what you did in asking for a king is evil. Because you weren't content with what God wanted for you. You wanted a king. And here's your king before you. Notice him. Here he is. And that's exactly what happened. And God sent thunder and rain, if you recall. A very unusual time of year for that to happen. And God sent it. And it was a testimony to them that what they did was evil. And the people, for a short time, understood that they had done evil and they repented of their, or at least they were sorry for asking for themselves a king. But we'll see that these tears that they had were really crocodile tears. Crocodile tears is basically, basically earthly sorrow. Earthly sorrow is when you do something wrong and you get caught or you get busted and you're feeling sorrowful for a season, but then you go right back to the vomit again, like a dog returning to its vomit. You, you get to the point where, and, and that's what crocodile's tears are. That's what earthly sorrow is. But godly sorrow is a true repentance. 
A true repentance is when I see something and God tells me that what I'm doing is wrong and it's not good for me, and I say, Lord, you're right. Forgive me, and I, am going, and I need your help to do this, Lord, but I want to turn from this thing. That's what repentance is. And that's godly sorrow. When you turn away from something, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you've you made a commitment. You've turned an about face, and you're going the opposite direction from where you're going. And see, that's what God wants us to do as Christians, too. We need to repent of our sin. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to come to him. And in doing so, that is a repentance. Because you're turning away from the world, from your own ways, to God's ways. And let me tell you something. God's ways are much better than your ways could ever be. I know this because I lived 24 years in my own, wanting to do my own thing and having my own uh, path carved out for me. I wanted to be a classical guitarist, and I was going to travel all around the world. That was, what I, that was my goal, and I was on my way. And God intervened in my life, and I'm so glad because I'm more blessed and fulfilled now than I've ever been. And I could have never have designed what he's doing in my life right now. I could have never have seen it in a million years. And see, that's just how good God is. He has a way of getting you from where you're at and bring you to the place where he wants you to be, the very place that he's created for you to be. And to me, that's the most wonderful thing about God, is he wants to bring you into the fullness of his blessing. And the only way that that can occur is by you surrendering your life to him. And when you do that, it's such a wonderful charge because you know now you're surrendering your life to the one who created you, who knew you before time began. Didn't he say that to Jeremiah? Didn't he say to Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. That means that before he was even conceived in the womb, God had a plan for this man's life. To me, that's fabulous. That's marvelous. And so that's really where Saul is right now is he's this king who's a little bit uh a little sheepish because of he knows that his kingship is really not the best but god is going to allow it and he's going to give the people it and he's going to give salt to him and so they make the best of it and and really that's where we ended in, in chapter 12 and so let's read chapter 13 and we'll get into it it says saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over israel saul chose for himself three thousand men of israel two thousand were with saul and michmash in the mountains of bethel and a thousand were with jonathan and gabeah of benjamin the rest of the people he sent away every man to his tent and jonathan attacked the garrison of the philistines that was in geba And the Philistines heard it, and then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as, uh, as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and they encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And so Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. 
And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. And so Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned on the road to Ophrah and the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road of Beth, uh, to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. And so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but there were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So this is a, an interesting uh, an account. And remember, this is history. This is not just a story in a book like David and Goliath. David and Goliath is not, a, it's not just a story. It's important to remember that as we read the Bible, that this is history. And it's really good history. In fact, as, as archaeologists dig up things all around the, uh, the Middle East, it's confirming things that were previously unknown. And the Bible had told us in advance that these cities, these men, were over these cities, and everyone's scratching their head going, we have no evidence of this. And then they find something under a rock, and they look at it, and there's an inscription in Hebrew <laughs> that a certain king lived at a certain time in a certain place. And that happens all the time. And so archaeology doesn't confirm the Bible. The Bible just confirms what they find. But the Bible is true. Amen? And that's the way you need to think of it. It is the Word of God. So let's look back at verse 1 here because there's a, a lot of interesting things here. If we had to put a title on this evening's message or on this chapter, it would be, for me anyway, it would be the importance of obedience. It's important for us to be obedient. Because how can we say we love God if, we don't be, if we're not obedient to him? I can tell, you know, my daughter can tell me that she loves me, but if everything I tell her, she does the exact opposite. She's proving that she really doesn't respect me, and thus she doesn't really love me. But when I tell her to do something, and she does it, she's proving that she respects me, that she loves me. And that's the way relationships work, even between husband and wife. We love each other. We do those things for each other. We help each other. 
But notice in verse 1 again, it says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel. This, uh, this first verse is kind of difficult because evidently there have been some textual problems with this in the Hebrew um, uh, but it could be read like this. And this is just one of, one of a handful of things in the Bible, and, and, it, and it doesn't really have anything to do with doctrine at all. It's just um, uh, could have been a scribal um, mishap or something that wasn't clear in those old manuscripts that were copied. And believe me, if you understood the way that the Jews copied old manuscripts, every one of us would be floored if you understood the meticulous way in which they copied those original scrolls that were that were that brought down i mean there's basically they're basically flawless i mean they really are the original scrolls were flawless but even in the copies they spent such great deal i mean there's books written about this it's fantastic how they it's not just me sitting down with a a little a light and and, and transcribing stuff uh, so if you ever get into that, check it out, because it's really fascinating how they do it. But there, there's just a problem here, and it's a little difficult for us. But it could be read like this. Saul was one and 40 years old, or 41 years old, when he began to reign. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, then Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. It could read like that, it, it, because it, it doesn't make a, a great deal of sense the way it's written there. Um, we know that um, Paul, the apostle, in Acts chapter 13, when he was in the, in the synagogue in Antioch, speaking of Saul, he, he said this in, in verse 20 of Acts, uh, Acts 13. He said, After that God had given them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, and afterward they asked for a king, and so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. So we know that Saul reigned for 40 years. And so the NIV actually has this uh, translation of that verse, and then we'll move on here. It's just, I, I think in another version, uh, which is on a different set of manuscripts, it makes it a little clearer, this specific verse, because the NIV uh, gives this very first verse. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over 42 years, or 40 years approximately. Okay, so um, we'll just leave it at that. So, um, it's a very interesting thing. But notice in verse 2, back in our text, it says, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with his son, Jonathan, uh, in their hometown of Gabeah in Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. So Saul evidently, even though he had access to a great number of people for his military, he chose, at least for this period of time, to have a group of men around him wherever he went. So he'd have 2,000 with him, and then uh, Jonathan, his son, would have 1,000 with him. And because as, as time went on, the Philistines were starting to raise up and starting to harass them, and so they needed to be on the fly. They needed to be ready to engage in battle at any moment, and you really can't do that with a couple hundred thousand people. <laughs> but you can do that easily, more easily, with a couple thousand. And so this place called Michmash is approximately four miles uh, northeast of where Saul's hometown was of Gabeah, or it could be seven miles northeast of Jerusalem, either way you want to look at it. But it says here that uh, a thousand were with Jonathan, his son, in Gabeah of Benjamin, and this is the first mention of Jonathan's name, of Jonathan, Saul's son, in the scripture. And his name means the Lord has given. 
and, and Jonathan was a really wonderful young man. I think Jonathan would have made a much better king than Saul, his father, because Jonathan was full of faith. He believed in God. He believed that God was going to deliver them from the Philistines, and he acted in faith, and we're going to see that in the next chapter next week. And so uh, Jonathan, what a wonderful young man. And it says in verse 3 here, it says, Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Underline that, because in the very next verse, you're going to hear that the people thought that Saul attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Underline that in verse 3 and in verse 4. In verse 3, it says, Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines. But in the next verse, it says that Saul did. But really, his father got the, 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 the kudos for it. And that's probably okay, because he is the king after all. But it was really Jonathan who had the faith to go up against him. Remember when David, we're going to see later, when David went up against Goliath. David, just a young teenager, and Saul was this you know, seasoned veteran at that time, much taller than everybody. He's shaking in his boots with the Philistines and Goliath standing there in the field accusing and blaspheming the, the children of Israel. And David says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Let me at him. <laughs> and Saul is like, I don't know, I don't know. Try my armor on. Maybe it'll fit you. And David's like, I can't. I, I. And so Jonathan was the one who really had the faith. He had more faith than his father. And notice it says that Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard it. And they, then, then Saul, after he found out, he blew the trumpet through all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. So people know there's a certain noise that they can make on the shofars that will alert everybody. And, and, and they can, they probably had some system down where they would alert each other. And, and everybody knew that Saul had uh, done something, even though it was his son. This place called Geba is literally in the center between where Saul was stationed in Michmash and where his other, where Jonathan, his son, was located. Geba was right in the center. And it's interesting that it's Jonathan that went out first. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that especially next week. So in verse 4 it says, Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. Underline that. It's different from verse 3. And that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. So now he's calling together everybody because the one thing about the Philistines is they were a very formidable foe. They were expert in iron. They had chariots. They had iron tools and swords, and they outnumbered in power the, the, the Israelites. And so when Saul sees this, he sends out the command for everybody to gather again at Gilgal. And notice um, uh, that this was the very place where they celebrated and where Saul was coronated. The very place at Gilgal. Remember that first battle that they had with the Ammonites? And then they go to Gilgal and they crown Saul. And now they're all excited. He goes back to that same place and gathers everybody together. Maybe hoping that another great victory will come about. Hoping. So verse 5, so then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. And it says here 30,000 chariots, but um, it's very likely that it's 3,000. 3,000 instead of 30,000. Um, and 6,000 horsemen. 
and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. And so now they've got these 3,000 chariots of iron, 6,000 horsemen, and the Israelites weren't even supposed to be on horseback. So now you've got these chariots that are, that are pulled by horses, and then you've got separate horsemen, and then you've got people on their feet. And so now they're in real trouble from their perspective. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.